This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Sierra 117, with a shout out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Keep your heads up during this time of isolation. Stay positive. Play some games. Most importantly, finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 28 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, April 19th, 2020. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost, and on this episode, we look at the latest hardware news for the Xbox One family of devices, recap some game announcements from this past week, and enjoy a healthy dose of reader mail. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all the goings-on in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And what an intro to this episode by Steve Downs. He is being so kind right now on his Cameo to offer 100% of his proceeds for Cameo bookings to go towards COVID relief. And I thought, what better way to have the show introduced and offer some money towards charity than to have Sierra117 himself, the Master Chief, introduce XEP this week and probably a few weeks after this because it was so cool. So I hope you enjoyed that little treat. Uh, I know that my heart did a flutter when that cameo came in. Watching that video, I've probably watched it a hundred times at this point. It brings joy to my heart and I hope it brings joy to you as well because right now we need it. And uh, what Steve said was absolutely true. Play some games, enjoy yourself, and uh, do whatever you can to, to make it through isolation in a healthy way. Well, one of the ways that I make it through this time is by examining all the game goings on in the Gamerverse. And this past week was rather a quiet news week of just simple, calm game announcements. In weeks prior, we've seen hardware news. We've seen the back and forth of Sony and Microsoft. We had an inside Xbox recently. We had some fairly quiet announcements, and I rather enjoyed it, truth be told. I took advantage of that time and played a number of different games across Back and Pat. And I'll tell you about that later in the show. For now, though, I think our time would be well spent to recap some of the gaming news from this past week, looking specifically at some hardware announcements for the Xbox One X. Cyberpunk 2077 has a themed Xbox One X that has been quietly and perhaps accidentally announced just a bit early by way of an unlisted video on Microsoft's official Xbox YouTube channel. Meaning that it is indeed official, it's just not been made super public to those who are, are uninterested or disinterested. In fact, for many people, if you went to the Xbox website, it looked briefly as though it had been hacked and taken over by Cyberpunk 2077 themed glitches. And it was really neat. It was a marketing ploy. Don't misunderstand me here. And I think that these kind of deals can be very powerful going forward. The new Xbox One X that is that is uh, themed in the Cyberpunk 2077 brand looks pretty cool. I know we always get mixed reactions when you see special editions of consoles, but I thought it looked really cool uh, and pretty impressive. More to that point, though, when 
casual fans, that is to say fans that are passerbys or, or mildly interested, not likely to be the people that listen to these kind of shows or those that are invested in the podcasting and the YouTube world of Xbox, but just casual fans who enjoy gaming in their free time, they tend to associate games as being synonymous with a brand based on that marketing. Think Call of Duty during the Xbox 360 era. Call of Duty was ripe on PlayStation 3 and on Xbox 360, but it was far more prevalent in the 360s ecosystem. Call of Duty and Destiny do that now in the PlayStation verse by way of those marketing deals. Microsoft really stumbled and fumbled along the way during the Xbox One era, particularly early on, trying to make Tomb Raider synonymous with timed exclusives, and timed exclusives I don't think really do a lot. Uh, for a brand or for a system seller aspect, but that's a different topic for a different time. For now, though, to see Cyberpunk 2077 taking advantage of the Xbox brand and the idea that the Xbox One X will be is the, currently the most powerful console and the Series X is the most powerful console, those seems to me to be matches made in heaven, a good marketing brand approach towards Cyberpunk 2077 when it launches in June. Interestingly, I said, I'm sorry, I said June. It is the console that launches in June, but interestingly, it is the game that launches later on down the line on September 17th. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not this unit sells for people that are early and excited for Cyberpunk 2077, if it tends to to push more people to buy into Cyberpunk on Xbox when it does launch later on in September. Will it bring people in? I'm very curious to see how this particular marketing deal nets out for Microsoft because I don't think that the Assassin's Creed or the Tomb Raider ones really did what they wanted them to do in showcasing the One X well, uh, that they perhaps wanted it to be when it is the most powerful console. So there's, there's something to be said in that. Also worth noting that fans that pick up Cyberpunk 2077 on Xbox One get it via smart delivery for free on the Series X when they pick up that device. So that's an interesting bit of of info there. There's nothing to say that PlayStation won't take advantage of something similar, but I'm very curious to see if this nets out as a big win for Microsoft. We saw it on the E3 stage. We know it's being synonymous thus far. Uh, And I'm just very curious to see what CD Projekt Red does for Xbox down the line, if those 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 two brands and that that brand partnership does something bigger, the Xbox One X is now down to two ninety nine. I do not know yet if this is an official full on price drop because we see it go on sale down to two ninety nine quite often. It's a fairly regular deal, but the publicity that I'm seeing happening and the marketing that I'm seeing at the moment seems to push it towards this being an official price drop, which would absolutely make sense if they're trying to clear inventory space and clear retail space so that the Series X can launch and launch well, free of being obscured. A lot of people speculating right now that the Xbox One X will become the base model for the next generation of systems. That would essentially be an equivalent to Lockhart uh, later on, that that Series S, as it were, the maybe the One X takes that place, or they become synonymous, or maybe they each are, are running parallel to one another. I'll be honest, I don't know what's going to happen there. I have no inside sources and I don't think it's worth speculating every single YouTube video that comes out uh, as to what is going to happen. If the One X were to become the new base model or the bottom line uh, unit per se for the Xbox One family uh, for the next two years versus the Series X being the top, would that be something that would bother you, dear listeners? I'm very curious to hear what you think on that. I would not be bothered by it. It might motivate me to not trade in my One X at the moment. It might motivate some people to upgrade 
uh, kind of a mid-gen cheaper upgrade. I, I'm There's a lot of ways to approach this. And I will tell you that as we look at the Xbox Series X and its possible price point going forward as being something that could be $500 plus, I do think it would be a mistake to launch a $300 device uh, because I think it would hold back the the brand and hold back the power of the One X show, or the Series X rather, showcasing what it is uh, that this new system would do. Why would you buy a unit that would be outdated right away? However, if it's the One X that does this, maybe you have a bit more wiggle room in that. And I don't know the answers to this. It's just questions I'm posing because I find them to be interesting. Um, but all in all, it is very worth noting that smart delivery is going to play a big part in their strategy in the first two years of the Series X. Moreover, they're doing a lot of pricing structures, not by way of simple price cuts to the Series X or the, pardon me, the One X. See, I'm doing it quite a bit. The One X or the One S. It's not price cuts that are doing it, but rather I think their Xbox All Access program where you pay monthly and then you get an upgrade free uh, until you've paid off your unit. I think that might make its way more into console sales than we've ever seen before. I think customers and consumer bases are accustomed to buying outright when it comes to consoles, but it's the cell phone market that seems to be informing how both Microsoft and PlayStation are approaching the the console video game launches uh, coming up. So if Microsoft takes a, more cues from the cell phone market and customers are more comfortable because of the cell phone market, we might have a way of paying via subscription model if xbox all access is 25 bucks a month you know that might mean a lot we're already comfortable with our game pass ultimate or our game pass or our xbox live gold subscription models and paying for services and paying for games by via that it might be a worthwhile endeavor there i will note right now i've seen a lot of speculation that xbox live gold is going away that games with gold are not impressive and that people should go the route of game pass or game pass ultimate this is a conversation we've had many a time on this show as it's an evolving topic. And I got to tell you, more and more I'm leaning towards the idea that everyone should just be of their own volition buying into Game Pass Ultimate. You upgrade, you know, buy a bunch of game uh, Xbox Live Gold, upgrade for a dollar, and then be set for a couple years, and then just buy when they have the two-for-one deals or the buy three months, get three months deals. That's, I would recommend that to be the way that you go about making the most of your money, but Game Pass Ultimate seems to me to be the way to go, particularly if you can take advantage of them on sale. I don't... I, I always look forward to the Xbox Live Gold releases i want to know what the free games are sometimes i genuinely like them because they're usually outside of my wheelhouse even in the weaker months it might be providing me with an indie game or a smaller game that i never would have tried out i think that toy box turbos game is out right now and that's a micro machines racing game well that, that is not a game that i would ever buy in store and it's not a game i'd ever be overly interested in but free during social isolation when i've been running through my backlog and enjoying myself yeah, maybe. Maybe I'll try that out. I mean, I like fun, and I do love trying out different types of games. I tend to be the, the type of game that I believe Microsoft describes as an explorer, in that I try tons of different games of all different genres, of all different types, and I simply have fun with them. I don't uh, assign them to be, all right, if it's not on X score on Metacritic, I'm not going to play it. That's not the type of gamer that I am. So maybe there's something to be said for allowing ourselves a bit more leeway and what types of games we try. And while I do agree that games with gold can be disappointing from time to time or Game Pass may not have the game you want, uh, actually, that's not true. Game Pass is every game you want. Uh, but games with gold certainly has disappointed many people of late. In those situations, perhaps make yourself avail to the idea that you might find some fun in some of those games. You might not play them for more than a few hours, but there's something to be had there. 
nonetheless, I would I would recommend everybody just do Game Pass Ultimate. Get both Game Pass and Xbox Live Gold into one subscription package. You can typically find financial deals there. Uh, that's the way to go for me on that. Jason Schreier made headlines this past week as he announced his departure from Kotaku, citing frustrations with the parent company no longer allowing journalism to speak freely of bias, essentially putting up roadblocks to their journalistic integrity. Mind you, this is a layered topic that includes a number of, of, of aspects that we won't be necessarily reporting on here, and I am paraphrasing the issues quite a bit uh, for the sake of time. But it seems that Schreier and several others were planning the move for some time because they were frustrated with what the parent company was doing to the reporting that they were trying to provide for their audiences. Schreier, well known for his articles on crunch, well known for Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, which highlighted the difficulties of crunch time and what it is publishers and developers put their workers through. And I think it's very frustrating and sad that, that he had to deal with these roadblocks. Moreover, though, I think it's a good time to reflect on how important it is for our industry to have investigative reporters and journalists who are willing to shine spotlights on places where there might be shadows. Crunch is something that can be absolutely devastating to the lifespan of a developer, and without developers, we don't have games. Investigative journalism is something that also seems to be a dying art throughout a number of industries, not just gaming, and I'm curious to see now where Schreier goes or how he and those of his ilk will find a way to finance their reporting. It's not as simple, perhaps, as creating a Patreon and saying, hey, pay a monthly subscription via my Patreon and I'll find out dirt on things that we need to know about or I'll investigate issues herein. That's not necessarily how news and investigative journalism works. So I'm curious how they will financially make their make themselves, you know, culpable and capable rather of surviving in this industry because we need them and where they will go. We've seen Game Informer lose staff. We've seen IGN have a very high turnover rate and general news outlets have been frustrated with the current economic climate and the current climate of reporting because it's a matter of clicks and advertisements and paying for things. A lot of places like the Washington Post and New York Times will offer up uh, paywalls to their articles, and that might be worthwhile, but in the frustration point of that, if there are paywalls behind articles, that might mean less eyes are seeing what it is is causing an issue. If we don't spotlight rock stars Uh, difficulty with crunch or riot games difficulty with the number of handling of their employees and more people don't know about it it might alter the simple market base and people that are willing to buy into those games and support those games and without hitting their wallets how do you necessarily make them ready to deal with those particular concerns how do you force them into addressing it so i'm very curious to see where it is that schreier goes i'm curious to see how this impacts investigative journalism and investigative reporting as we move through this industry particularly as we're on the eve of console launches and looking forward to the next few years post covid and how we we look at developers adapt Um, work from home crunch time productivity, those are all going to be regular conversations, and it's important to have voices that highlight that. So I offer my best to Jason Dreyer and to those like him who are seeking gainful employment or seeking ways to to finance what it is they do and do well. I know we had Rebecca Valentine on the show a few weeks ago, and while that's not necessarily the same type of reporting, she also noted the importance of having 
clear, un unbiased reporting and biased reporting on different levels in order to shine spotlight on places where there might not be any otherwise. So again, my best goes out to Schreier and those who are leaving Kotaku and here's hoping that they land on their feet and continue to do the work they do because simply put, we need voices like that in gaming. Micro stories coming up in this past week. Fallout 76 Wastelanders have launched into Fallout 76, continuing this game's seeming redemption. Now, we have seen very few games stumble as much as Fallout 76, and I would argue they stumbled even more than EA's Anthem, uh, for sure, when it came to, to pass. Fallout 76, a number of strange stories of people losing their gear, losing their loot, paying for private servers, not getting the benefits of them. Uh, and goodness gracious, Fallout 76 was a certain mess that that they, they have struggled to get back on track. But with the Wastelanders update, it seems that a lot of people are fairly high on the update and it's repairing a lot of the damage they're in. It's adding NPCs and more story-based missions to this vault uh, and, and to what's going on here. And that's great. I'm super happy for those of you who enjoy Fallout. I'm not a Fallout person myself, but I'm curious if this will continue another redemption story uh, in Anthem. We've seen No Man's Sky recover from a dreadful and tragic launch. Uh, and now No Man's Sky is doing extremely well. They offer their mech suit update uh this past in the past week or so and people are really high on no man's sky and what a turnaround it is it was that sean murray and no and and hello games could not show their faces anywhere a few years ago now people are excited to see him and they they seem to have forgiven hello games for what it was that happened with no man's sky will that happen with fallout 76 is this a prelude to what could happen with anthem with new games on the horizon and the repeated reportings that anthem is not dead and it is going undergoing a major over Overhaul. I wonder what this does for the redemption story. I will note that I very much enjoyed my time with Anthem. It was not the game that was promised, but I did have fun with it. I loved flying around and being Iron Man. So I'm curious if Wastelanders is something that people will continue to take advantage of. If it's if it goes past critical reception that's positive and goes into consumer reception that's positive, uh, will people buy into it, forgive Fallout 76? Will it damage the Fallout brand? Uh, because that is a formula that needs to evolve. Those games seem like they are just stuck right now and here's hoping that those those who enjoy it are having fun and moreover that that developers are learning from that for sure streets of rage 4 is launching day and date into game pass that's happening on april 30th that's exciting if you don't have game pass streets of rage 4 which is a uh, a sequel to a much beloved franchise from the sega games which i have been investigating in this past week i'll talk about that in a sec that in a second but streets of rage 4 the fact that it's 25 bucks on all systems but is launching day and date into game pass seems to bode well what a perfect game pass game a brawler launching day and date that you don't have to buy into you can spend a few hours in play some multiplayer couch co-op have some fun with it and then put down that is awesome i am i'm excited for that for sure uh that didn't that one that was great news, but more bigger news, more interesting news, more boring news. I don't know how to, to take this one. Crisis is getting a remaster, and we're all super excited. It blew up on Twitter that Crisis hadn't tweeted in several years, and then all of a sudden they said data incoming, and then uh, it's announced that Crisis Remastered is going to be coming to Xbox One, PS4, and Switch, which will be the first time it's on a Nintendo console. That's really cool. If you're unfamiliar with Crisis, that was once the benchmark game for all the PC nerds to say, well, can it run Crisis? Because it was so, so impressive technically. Now, I got to tell you, Crisis never really clicked with me, but I always enjoyed them. They were my fun blockbuster rental games, and I, I had fun. They looked good, sure. 
Uh, I'm very curious to see if Crisis Remastered is the start of Crisis coming back, and if any company per se takes advantage of maybe making them exclusive. We know both Sony and Microsoft are working to make them exclusive. I don't think that's a good move business-wise. They're putting the remaster out on all systems, maybe to see where it sells best or which communities respond. These are always strange times when, when companies put out stuff as a gauge and then consumers feel compelled to buy it in order to support it on their particular platform. It's eh, It'll be interesting to see what happens. But uh, supposedly launching sometime this summer, cool. I thought the, between the, the Fallout 76 news, the Streets of Rage news, and Crisis, those were neat little micro stories that were, were exciting there. Quite a few of you writing in this week, and I gotta tell you, that's what makes the, the show go. That's what makes me so excited to get in front of a mic every week, is to answer questions and dialogue with you guys and chat with you guys on Twitter. And uh, It has been a time, and I'll tell you what, I have been playing a lot of games this past week and taking advantage of this downtime. I was on my spring break this past week, so I wasn't teaching classes during the day or sitting in front of my computer for for non-gaming purposes, and so I investigated a lot of things. I played through Sonic Mania start to finish after watching the Sonic movie, which was a blast. I took advantage of the the sale on the Sega Genesis collection, 50-plus games on the Genesis, uh, and really just dove in and, and tried some Genesis games. And, man, that system really did a lot. Goodness gracious, some of those games are absolutely awful, but it was really cool to look at the graphics and the the just the impressive visuals that that system was able to produce, not just in the Sonic games, but in games like Space Harrier 2, which is terrible. You don't need to play it. But the fact that the system pulled it off was, was neat. Vector Man is so cool. Playing the Vector Man games was fun, and those were available on sale. And the fact that I can play them on my Xbox One uh, and, and still go back in time and experience stuff like this, really good ports. It's it's fun. I like being able to do that. That that is a good old time. I've also been playing through Arkham Origins DLC again. Back and Pat doing me and serving me quite well. Uh, I've been playing Arkham Origins Cold Cold Heart DLC, which is all about Mister Freeze, and it was it was story Arkham that I had missed. And man, I'm so desperate for more Batman that popping that that disc in there because it's it's only available via disc to my knowledge. Um, popping the disc in and going through and playing some Arkham content that I hadn't dove into before was a pleasure, and it's fun, and it makes me all the more excited for whatever it is that WB Montreal has, whatever it is that, that Rocksteady's making. I know Todd Oxter wrote in asking about uh, what I think about the rumored news that WB Montreal is making an Arkham game, but it's a soft reboot, and there is going to be a DC game verse that, that Rocksteady is also working in, and essentially they're trying to create their own universe of video games that will all be tangentially related to one another if that's true todd that is super exciting and i would love to see it really i'm just in the market for more batman i love the arkham series i often talk about how they're my favorites and to to play origins this past week and to dive in and get riddler trophies that i'd missed and kind of max out the 360 game was fun because i did it all on playstation with three way back when so i'm enjoying my time with that that's been fun uh for sure i've also been playing a lot of hyperdot which is a great indie game that's coming to Game Pass uh, later on at the end of the month. HyperDot is well worth your time. Wait for the Game Pass drop and then play the mess out of it. Super cathartic and relaxing. And also, I am I am 500-plus hours into Halo Wars 2, just putting a, a lot of time into that. And Brendan Myers wrote in, and he asked, uh, what are some games on Xbox that one could use to stay at home with? What would be a good game to tackle on a weekend and otherwise? And so I, I bring up Halo Wars 2 because I'm 500-plus hours into that game since its launch. I absolutely love it. My buddies, uh, Hometown Hero and Mr. Babbitt, and I have just been playing all different types of scenarios within the Halo Wars 2 world. 
and it is the perfect level of casual and strategy mix for me. If you've not played Halo Wars 2, guys, I strongly recommend it. Download it on Game Pass. It's free there. Incredible visuals. Like, the blur motion cutscenes are just incredible and astounding. You don't need to be a Halo fan to, to appreciate them. And the strategy game is perfect for a controller, and it's really relaxing to just play through. That campaign is, is a pleasure and a joy. So I strongly recommend you to check that out. And if you're into the more competitive side, uh, we've been having a number of different AI scenarios and battles, and they've got something like 15-plus leaders in there, a bunch of different maps from the old and, and from Halo Wars 1 and 2. Halo Wars 2 is well worth your time. Go check that out. Again, like many Microsoft games, it got a lot of post-launch support, uh, and it, it's, it's truly a joy and a wonder. So that is one of my long-term games to recommend to you, Brendan along with Sea of Thieves and State of Decay. I know I talked about State of Decay 2 a few weeks ago. I have really got back into that at the beginning of this social distancing uh, phase, and I put a number of hours into that as well. State of Decay 2, Halo Wars 2, and Sea of Thieves are great games for time sinks, guys. They're great for replayability and relaxing and just immersing yourself into a world where you're going to get a lot accomplished, but you won't really need to feel like you've done a lot, and, and you'll lose a lot of hours in a comfortable and fun way. So I would encourage you guys to check those three out. As to the more weekend-focused part of your question, Brendan, I love the, I love this question because there's so much to, to enjoy here. Um, I recommend HyperDot, which again comes to Game Pass on April 30th. I recommend Journey to the Savage Planet. That's a great game to knock out in a weekend. It's simple, it's funny, and it's fun. Uh, it kind of captures the same humor of the Outer Worlds and a similar premise, oddly enough, but it does so in a very different way. It's a first-person Metroidvania with a lot of different ab uh, abilities that you gain and explore the world. It's zany, it's funny, it's beautiful. Um, I would recommend you check out Journey to the Savage Planet. That's a good weekend game. So is uh, Ace Combat 7 and Ori's 1 and 2. Those are all available in Game Pass. I tried to snag some stuff that I figured you would have a, have a go at. And then, you know, if you need more ideas, World War Z. That's a fantastic game. I just played through and beat Sonic Mania. That game is beautiful uh, and so good. You know, if you pop in an old... I, was, I told you I was doing the Genesis kind of replay... Uh, the Sonic games of old, not really that great. They don't age well, even even with the best of ports, and, and those are good ports in that collection. But Sonic Mania fixes all of those things, all of those frustrations. And about 10 minutes into Sonic Mania, I realized how I was supposed to play Sonic games, and I had an absolute blast with it. So maybe check those out for sure. Uh, and then, of course, I mentioned Arkham because I planned to talk about it. The Arkham games are in Game Pass, and Arkham Knight is a wonderful example of just Batman lore and fun Easter eggs, and acting is just incredible. The story is great. So while it's not new, maybe check out some of the old Arkham games. Those are those are fun to, to go through, and, and they're finishable, I think, is the nice thing, is you can play them start to finish, or you can go on and, and get even more hours out of challenge modes and maps. And I like having that option. I like knowing I've started something, finished it, and I'm done. Uh, I did that with Syndicate this, this past few weeks. I mean, I've, I've been playing a lot of games. I was on break. So uh, I, like, I like when games are finishable but also have a replayability aspect to them. Yeah, so, so, so we go there. Uh, let's go on to another question. This one from my good friend, Mr. Boomstick XL. Now, Mr. Boomstick runs a YouTube channel, and he has been so kind. He does near daily shows. He, he does shows three, four days a week uh, during the week over on his YouTube channel, uh, Boomstick Games. But you gotta, you got to check out Mr. Boomstick XL. Great guy. And he asks a fantastic question that I love, love, love postulating about. He says, I have an interesting question. How different can Halo Infinite be without offending the fan base of the long-running franchise? And that is a, a, a wonderful thing because 
that fan base, that long-running fan, fan base, has an affinity for Halo that is nearly unmatched. The Halo diehards are a community of, of Xbox gamers of yore. They are very important to the success of Halo when it comes to the brand. But we would be foolish not to acknowledge that the Halo brand has stymied in recent years and is not nearly the same level of importance. I don't think that many casual fans, outside of people that listen to shows like this, I don't think a lot of casual fans are going to rush to a store to buy an Xbox-branded console for the next Halo game. I don't think that's likely to happen. And so Halo Infinite's task is to appeal to the, to the people of yore and give them something that is fulfilling so they will sing its praises on social media and tout it wherever possible, tout it where they feel it's deserved, but then also bring in new fans. And I think we've talked about this before. I would love a a mixed approach on how to do this. First, I think it's very important for the success of Halo Infinite to have a story-focused campaign that is roughly 10 hours or 10 hours plus that is story and heavy focused on Master Chief. You need a story campaign in there that is heavily involved with Master Chief and focuses on him. That gets a lot of the people that pick up Halo for the single player purposes in and happy. They've got a lot of that. We knew, we know just from market research that Halo 4 was well received on a story front. Halo 5 was not. We know that Halo 4 wasn't as so great on the multiplayer front. Halo 5 was. People are still playing Warzone to this day uh, in Halo 5. And I actually, I redownloaded. I'm actually pretty excited to, to check it out and go back in for a bit. They've got some COVID relief uh, rec packs that are, that are pretty cool for charity. And I like supporting that kind of thing. Um, so I think you need a 10-hour story campaign focusing on Master Chief, but then you need a Destiny-like approach to sub-missions or side missions where you can go out with Fire Team Osiris, Fire with, with Blue Team, with maybe Ferret Team from the books or a group of ODSTs, and complete missions uh, Destiny-style, where you have basically strikes or, or mini-raids that you go on outside of the main campaign. Uh, this was something that I think with Halo 4 they tried to do in Spartan Ops, and it was it was dreadful. It, really cool cutscenes, really cool idea, but it was boring and it wasn't fun. But an evolution of that into what Destiny does with its strikes might be a way to bring Halo fans in to play a bit of multiplayer uh, co-op style. I've found in recent years that co-op is the way I like to play a lot of my games. When I play with Mr. Bad Bit and Hometown Hero in Star Wars or in Halo Wars, in World War Z or any other game that we enjoy, we're always on the same team. We like that. We don't like competing against each other. We play on the same team uh, and we, we like winning so having strikes or something equivalent to that would be super exciting to me it would be a, a, a proof of concept on what spartan ops tried to do in halo 4 and failed miserably and i think destiny does that well we've seen that from their community so if they can find a way to market that that would be wonderful also worth noting that in order to make halo infinite succeed i'm thinking more and more as we've seen the success of of call of duty warzone that they need a free-to-play element for Halo Infinite. If you buy Call of Duty Modern Warfare, you get a number of competitive modes, you get the campaign. There's a lot to enjoy in Call of Duty Modern Warfare. But the free-to-play side for the Battle Royale and the Plunder modes really brought a lot of people back into the Call of Duty franchise. Having a free-to-play Halo game on PC and console would really go a long way. For sure, we're going to see a Steam release of Halo Infinite. For sure, we're going to see the, the Windows Store, of course, but then also on console. A lot of cross-play opportunity for co-op stuff, so you don't need to worry about the competitive edge. And a lot of opportunity for people to play competitively, and they need to turn cross-play off so they're not getting beat by, micro, by mouse and keyboard warriors. 
I'm sure also there's going to be an input me messaging in that. But what a great opportunity to capitalize on a number of things that make Halo great. Story, co-op, and competitive. And those pillars need to exist. But making your competitive free-to-play is a great way to bring people in. Halo is a huge brand. It's got comic books. It's got movies. They're not good. It's got books and novels. It's got smaller games like Halo Wars 2, Spartan Assault. Uh, there are a lot of ways to enjoy Halo. You need a free-to-play entry now. It just has to happen. I didn't think this a few months ago, but seeing Warzone's success in the Call of Duty franchise and its revitalization, uh, I, th I think makes makes it uh, worthwhile. Great question, Mr. Boomstick. I, I love it. I love it, Boom. You're great, and I, I appreciate what you do and your content, uh, and I, I really appreciate you writing in this week, man. Next question comes from Famous Seamus himself. He asks, with Sony giving away two free games to everyone with a PS4 and $10 million to indie developers, do you think Microsoft should do something similar, like give away two or more games or give everyone uh, a micro with a Microsoft account uh, one to three months of Game Pass Ultimate or give indie developers money to help them coping with the pandemic? Also, I hope you're doing well. Seamus, uh, thank you so much, man. I appreciate your kind words. I hope you're doing well. Uh, I truthfully, truly, I get through my frustrations by listening, uh, to, or rather reading your questions and then offering you something to listen to. It, 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 it gets me through to have these types of conversations, man. So thank you uh, for sure. Uh, as to your question, I think it's a great idea to give away a month of Game Pass or a couple months of Game Pass. I think the timing on that has got to be important. We heard Phil Spencer talk about it in his interviews with IGN and Ryan McCaffrey that they didn't want to be seen as taking advantage of the situation, and that's an important thing. I do not think that, my, that PlayStation is seen as taking advantage by offering their free games. I don't feel that at all. I did not get that vibe once, and I don't think that Xbox would get – would would have that vibe if they were giving away games. I do think they might have to be careful with their wording if they're giving away months of their subscription service and then you're stuck in on that subscription. Stadia might have run into that too when they offered Stadia Pro free for a few months because recurring payments after the window is is something that you got to be careful of. We saw a lot of content creators suspend their Patreons when COVID broke out. But the scary part of that is, all right, when do you reactivate it? Because if COVID doesn't go away for some time, or if we're still dealing with this in a few months' time, when do you reactivate it in order to keep yourself viable and keep yourself financially stable? And that's a tough, tough thing to navigate. So however they do it, uh, I think they need to approach it well with timing. We're on the eve of console launches, and you want to get people into your ecosystem, but you don't want to put people out by way of locking them into payments they weren't ready for. So what I think needs to happen is they need to do Game Pass. They need to do one to three months of Game Pass, and it's automatically, you know, you, you go in, you click redeem, and you've got it, and you don't need to set it up with a credit card account or something like that. Maybe maybe that's how you do it uh, the right way, but it, they certainly needed to, to do that and take advantage of it in the right way but not feel like they're taking advantage of their, their customers. And, you know, what are the right games to give away? Because I feel like we... We hear a lot of the same pillars now. Mike or uh, Sony was giving away Journey and Uncharted. Those are not, those are not uh, games that many people don't already have access to. So, do you give away Halo Five? I wouldn't do that. Would you do Master Chief Collection? Yeah, you should do Master Chief Collection. Get people into Halo again. We just talked with with Boom about making Halo relevant. You need people in on Halo. So uh, maybe it's Master Chief Collection, and then. I mean, not even Sea of Thieves. It's so available, and it's so important to have a community there, so you should have that free. I don't know, man. I don't know what that second game would be. Maybe a smaller indie title. Maybe Ori 1. Ori 1. That's it. You give away Master Chief Collection and Ori in the Blind Forest, and there you go. That's not a bad thought. Yeah, there we go. 
Um, I also think that they are, are smart to be dropping the price of the Xbox One X. They need to start moving those units out, clear that retail space. Xbox One uh, sold well once it got on its feet, but, but, but it's not catching PlayStation. So sell them, clear the retail space, and make way for the new gen, I would say there. Todd Oxtra, always supportive of the show. Todd, it is great to, to see you on this list here. Uh, he asks, what's the innovation that you most want in the next generation? The death of load times is exciting to me as load times always take me out of the experience and add frustration during a difficult portion of the game. That's a great great question, Todd. Uh, I, I, I will comment on your, your load times thing. I don't think load times take me out of an experience when they're done and done well. Uh, and I don't mean the like, all right, we're crawling through a crack in the wall so that we can get there and they're hiding the load time behind that. But when I'm dying repeatedly at like a boss fight or a difficult portion, if I don't get quick restarts, I get really frustrated. Um, if I was playing HyperDot and I died and I couldn't quick restart, I'd quit that game in a heartbeat. So I understand where you're coming from there. Um, and I would urge anybody that if load times are bothering you, examine the game design. Is it a game problem or a you problem? And, and is it a system problem? Uh, but I do agree that load times going away on PS5 and load times seemingly being greatly reduced on the Series X, I'm very curious to see uh, if that changes the way we experience it because a lot of games built methods and ways of loading that were enjoyable. PlayStation 4's Spider-Man had really fun subway scenes. Those were cute and they were funny. Uh, what do we get out of that? So I'm curious. But that's a great point. As for my innovation, for me, it's easily xCloud. xCloud is absolutely the most important innovation in next gen for me. I think we've seen a lot of this stuff already show up. Shorter load times, better graphics. Those things are, we often get those at the beginning of a generation. It, early on in this gen, load times seemed fairly solid. And as the games hit 4K, it started to boost a bit. Uh, share buttons have already already been around. Uh, networking seems to already be around. It just be, seems to be improved in, in UX and UI experiences there. So to me, the most different thing is xCloud. The ability to load my game uh, from my game library on any device, regardless of location, to me, that's a game changer. Uh, and it's not as simple as me like being at work or on a subway or in the car for xCloud. For me, it's more about being downstairs. Like If I want to sit on the couch with my wife away from my Xbox but still play my games so that I can be spending more time with her, I would love that. That's what I'm most looking forward to is the the vision of xCloud being realized. And it'll probably be some time away, but more and more I'm like, yeah, that's what I want. I want to go plot my tablet down because the phone clip is really cool and it works, but it's kind of awkward. But go plot my tablet down or, or xCloud on PC I'm so excited for. Please make that a thing where I can just take my computer downstairs because it's more mobile than my Xbox and a TV setup. That's what I want. I'm all in on that idea. xCloud is my jam, and that's what it is I want to see there. The last question comes from Corey in HD. We're going long, and I'm having fun, so I hope you guys don't mind. This is a cathartic thing for me. Corey in HD asks, do you think Xbox is... Do, I, do you think the approach Xbox is taking with cross-gen games mixed with this coronavirus situation has created a recipe to overtake Sony in mindshare next-gen? Thanks for all you do, Insipid Ghost. Corey, thank you for listening to the show, and thank you for writing in, man. I appreciate you. Thank you for all you do. Uh, and to answer your question as to whether or not it's going to help them overtake Sony in mindshare, no. I don't believe they will take overtake Sony for some time, if at all. Uh, I do believe, though, it'll help them make up lost ground and make up lost ground by a lot. You have to remember, roughly 105 million PlayStation 4s have been sold. Now, I'm sure some of those are double dippers, but you can argue the same thing for the not quite 50 million Xbox One sold. So being outsold two to one is a lot of mindshare to be made up. Uh, Microsoft has talked repeatedly about launching day and date in Japan. 
so as to try and get a foothold back in there. We talked in last week's episode about entering the Asian markets well. They've got to reclaim uh, a lot of their ground in Europe, which they lost to Sony in a big way this past generation. And we've got to, or we, I say we, but Microsoft has to work hard to prove that the Series X and Xbox are more than just, you know, Gears, Forza, and Halo, which I think to those paying attention, they are doing that, and they've been doing that well, but that's that's it's people paying attention are not the ones that you need to sell. You need to sell those that don't care, that are uninterested, that are perhaps on a Sony camp or a Nintendo camp. So as far as making up lost ground, yes, they can do that. Overtaking Sony, I don't think that's likely to happen. They've certainly got a lot of positive mindshare thus far ever since the Game Awards, it has been nothing but good news for Xbox, and that's really neat. And you can you can make an argument that since uh, 2015, when they announced Back and Pat, they've been riding a ship that was just steered so poorly and so wrong it had run aground. So getting it back out to sea, getting it on track, getting it to catch up with its competitors is a tough thing to do, and it takes a long time. It'll probably take a decade. I would argue that by 2025, when we've seen the, the, the launch of Back and Pat, I think was 2015, and and 10 years out if they're they're on track and on track well that's when you'll know if they've done right but remember their big selling point right now is power they've not really shown us a ton of games and power doesn't sell systems uh, you can cite Switch on this, you can cite PS1 on this, you can cite the Xbox 360 on this. Power doesn't sell systems. The most powerful console doesn't sell systems. The Xbox One X would have sold more if it did. Now, I'm all in on it. I'm the type that likes that. But again, I'm making an Xbox show, and people listening are interested in that particular environment. And as consumers, they need to work to, they need to, work to sell to the people that are listening to this type of show. So here's hoping that they, they find better footing and they continue to assert themselves in North America and enter the Asian markets well and reclaim a bit of Europe. That's how they that's how they make up lost ground, but I don't see them overtaking Sony anytime soon uh, or for the foreseeable future in any way, shape, or form. That's not to say I don't want them to, but I want competition. I don't really care who wins. I really don't give a crap who wins. I want to play games. I'm so excited for PlayStation 4 to go on sale so I can get a PS4 Pro upstairs in this room and play Spider-Man in, in PS4 Pro fashion. Uh, and I want to play God of War, and I want to check out some of the exclusives that I haven't been playing while I, my PS4 Slim is kind of confined to a TV as a Netflix player for my wife. So, uh, you know, play games where you can. Enjoy them. That's, that's the message that I would offer anybody. Guys, that is it for this week's episode. I certainly enjoyed chatting with you this week. I know we've got some interviews coming up that I'm very excited about. And I don't know whether or not you listen for me or the interviews, but I appreciate you both. For whatever whatever it is that, that gets you to download the show, I appreciate that. And more importantly, the dialogue and the conversations, they mean the world. I hope you enjoyed the nugget of an Easter egg. Big thank you to Steve Downs uh, for offering up the, all the proceeds of his cameos uh, to go towards COVID relief. I encourage all of you to take advantage of that. Find some of your favorite uh, celebrities and book a cameo if they're doing COVID relief. And Steve Downs is, of course, a personal favorite of mine. He means the world to me, as does Halo. It's a very powerful, emotional thing for me. So that's really cool. Have a wonderful rest of your week, guys. Take care. <laughs>